Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here. More than one lesson mini so number 40. We've done 40 of these things. It's very exciting. A combination of discussing our top 10s and the best pictures, and then every once in a while, like a really neurotic thing from me. So that's what they are. That's I guess that is the nature of more than one lesson. So uh, this week, we will be talking about Million Dollar Baby, the best picture winner for the year 2004. But before we do that, will I welcome in Josh or will I say some announcements? It'll be announcements. Uh, yeah, I don't want him stealing my thunder, as he always does, with his enthusiasm and his, uh, you know, thunderous voice. I said thunder twice. I don't like that. But um, so, okay, a couple of quick things. Number one. Uh, so I've mentioned in the past our Facebook group. I am in the process of uh, closing that. Um, we now have a Facebook page that you can like. One of the reasons that I like having the Facebook page is that I can uh, post things, post announcements and links and articles uh, more often. Uh, and so, and I and it's easier to engage with people. So um, if you could just go over to our Facebook page and like us, uh, that would be great. I would appreciate that. Uh, the second thing is that we are, again, we, I don't like to push this too much, but we do accept donations for, uh, for the podcast. We use it for a number of things. Uh, we tend to apply it towards, uh, movies that we see in the theater, uh, rather than wait for video so that we can be kind of current. Um, but right now, one thing that Josh and I will be doing is both of us, uh, schedules permitting, both of us will be going to Comic-Con this year. I will be going as a function of Battleship Pretension. Josh will be going as a function of More Than One Lesson. That's right. Our small podcast got him press credentials, which is very exciting. So, uh, so we're going f- to do that, and it's a little pricey. Uh, San Diego, they... You know, they know the way the wind blows, and they know where they where they get their money. And so, uh, hotels are more expensive, and and food tends to be more expensive uh, during that time. It's very interesting if you look at the weekend before and the weekend after Comic Con, and you look at the uh, the hotel prices then. Then you look at the hotel prices the week of Comic Con. It's insane. They jump up probably about seventy five percent. So we have our, our hotel, so we are still going, but it would be nice if it didn't take a huge chunk out of our uh, finances. So anything that you can donate would be appreciated. Um, and again, that will go towards Comic-Con and towards seeing movies and uh, from time to time occasional uh, publicity materials. So uh, we would really appreciate that. I will put a link to our donate button um, in the post of this minisode. And then you can also find it on the right side of morethanonelesson.com if you scroll down. So uh, I think that is about it as far as announcements. I will now welcome in our co-host, because it really is our podcast, isn't it, everybody? I mean, I pay for it, but still. Uh, Josh Long. Josh. Hey there. How you doing? Doing good. All right. The podcast belongs to the world, really. That's kind of true. Now that it's out there. Yep. Do I make the joke? I, I'm not going to make that joke because it's no. mean-spirited. Um, <laughs> but uh, Josh, now we can't go into a lot of detail, but you're working on – you're on set right now. Like I'm, I am. 
uh, although in a couple of days you're going to be out of town. But uh, the last couple of weeks you've been working on a film mm-hmm. uh, in an assistant director capacity, I assume, right? Yes, on a Christian film, actually. All right. Well, I didn't want to, you know, just in case you had anything <laughs> negative to say about it. Um, but yeah, I do know that uh, they shoot primarily in a church, right? Mm-hmm. Which means your schedule is much better than usual. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, one of the fun things about this one is that they can't do anything on the weekends because the church is using it on the weekends. They can't do anything on Wednesdays because they have some kind of services on Wednesday. I don't know exactly what it is even. It's not regular church service because we can leave all our stuff on the hmm. like, stage in the church. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. So that means I'm only working four days a week, which is that sounds great. Unfortunately, like those it. those are twenty one day, hour days because they yes. want to try and make up for it elsewhere. Right? They gotta yeah, gotta burn that candle at both ends. Did you just did you were you just about to comment that you are on a uh, on a French work schedule? Yeah, yeah. All right, they have a longer weekend. I think. I, I guess so. I know if they don't have it, they want it. In Muppets Most <laughs> Wanted. Uh, there is a really fun, I, I, I thought the movie was very good. I didn't love it, but, uh, there is a nice consistent joke that's clearly just for grownups about the European and specifically the French work schedule, which is, uh, (laughs) delightful. But, uh, anyway, so we've got, uh, we're going to be recording two mini sodes in a row. So we got to jump into it. So as I said, we were talking about the year 2004, Best Picture went to Clint Eastwood's Million Dollar Baby. Now, a little bit of uh, backstory. I'm going to take us back 10 years now. Uh, Best Picture was compl- was sort of up in the air. Everybody was looking at Martin Scorsese's The Aviator mm-hmm. as, a, as the contender. And then right there at the end of the year, December is when Million Dollar Baby was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is released and suddenly everybody just... The conversation changed 100%. Yeah. I mean, Front Runner went from one to the other uh, mm-hmm. just by virtue of the film ab- being, you know, about to be released. And it was just astounding to me. Yeah. And I remember it wasn't on my radar at all. I yeah. wasn't thinking about it. And then there was enough buzz that I thought, well, I guess I better see this. And incidentally, I saw it. Two days before Christmas in Chicago, uh, all my friends and my then girlfriend were out of town, and I myself was supposed to be out of town, but I missed my flight. So <laughs> I was sitting in my apartment all alone. My, my roommates were gone, and I just thought, and I was watching uh, Futurama. I was watching episodes I had seen a million times before, and mm-hmm. so I thought, no, I've got a night free. I've got no obligation to anybody because everyone's gone. I'm going to go to the movies and I'm have gonna, some fun. Exactly. I'm going to go enjoy myself. <laughs> One for Million Dollar Baby, please. <laughs> uh, so, and then, of course, uh, and I went to a fairly late show and then I walked back. I was in downtown Chicago. It was 1 a.m. It was cold. It was dark. And it was so, so alone. It looked vaguely post-apocalyptic. <laughs> um, but it, was, uh, it, was, it wound up being... Uh, clearly one of the more memorable movie movie going nights for me because of uh, the circumstances but um but strangely enough that loneliness and that quiet and the darkness after seeing the movie was like and the fact that i had no one to talk to was the perfect atmosphere to walk into after seeing the movie Mm. uh the movie is surprising for a for a what is essentially a sports movie, but I, I really I think it barely qualifies as that. Yeah. Um, 
it is surprising. It is all those things. It is quiet. It is dark. It is contemplative. Uh, it is all of these things. There's a deep melancholy underneath all of it. And by and large, I, I really like the movie. We'll talk more about the best picture thing in a moment, but, uh, but I like Million Dollar Baby. There's a lot of things about it that I think are really wonderful. Josh, your thoughts about, about Million Dollar Baby? You know, I'm trying to remember when I saw it. I, I can't remember now. I think I... Did you not see it at the time or did you see it later? Well, that, that's what I can't remember. Okay. Like, I don't remember if I saw it. I, I must have seen it before the Oscars, but I can't remember if I saw it in the theater or... Because I was in college at the time, so it's likely that I did see it in the theater... But then again, you know, that late December release, sometimes I end yeah. up missing those ones because, you know, Christmas traveling and all that stuff. Yeah. So, um... And despite its upbeat quality, it's just not the <laughs> kind of Christmas movie that you go see with your family. Not necessarily. There's just too many of them. Depends on the family, really. Indeed. Um, but, yeah, I, I... I remember initially... Here's the, here's the thing that I remember most about watching it the first time. Um... For those who haven't seen it, there is kind of a big spoiler. A spoil? Well, the, there's a, a plot development yeah. that uh, you don't see coming. And I guess this is part of the reason that people were seeing and talking about this movie. And I had no idea that there was even any kind of development yeah. that would change the direction of the film. So, in my watching it, something suddenly happened that came out of nowhere to me and, like changed the way I was looking at the film. So that was interesting. Like that, that certainly affected my, my initial reaction to it. And I think for the better or for, or for worse, you think, I I think for the better, um, I'm not sure that I liked where it went with it ultimately, but I feel like I have a lot of respect for a film that's able to be going one way entirely and make a major left turn and still be consistent in tone and kind of theme and uh, there's still a consistency to it. It's not like I've seen other movies where it suddenly changes and now it's just a different movie. It's Mm -hmm. as if they lost interest in the first half of the movie and now decided it's about something else. Right. And this could be that, but it's not like it it still is consistent. still, um, I don't know. Even though it's such a shock, it's a natural progression. Yeah, I think so. It is. You know, especially because the twist then leads to, uh, for lack of a better word, an issue. Right. Um, where a character has to make a choice, and it's something that has been hotly debated in the past. Right. Um, it would it could have been easy for this to take the tone of, all right, enough fun, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, now it's time to get down to business. We all are avoiding this conversation. Now it's time <laughs> to have it. It didn't feel like that at all. It felt it felt like everything ex- seemed to extend from the characters themselves. And so when that when that plot development happens and when that choice needs to be made, um, the characters are agonizing it, agonizing over it, not because it's a choice that people in life agonize over. And it's a, a big important issue, but because these characters would agonize over it, and right. so it's I feel just, like uh, go I, ahead. Sorry. I feel like Clint Eastwood is a good person to make that type of movie because mm-hmm. he's such a straight shooting kind of guy. Yeah, that it, it. I don't feel like he would make a movie that was really ham fisted over an issue. Yeah, that's. I'm glad you use the term ham fisted because 
I will say this script was written by Paul Haggis based <laughs> on the stories by a guy named FX Tool. That is not his real name. I do not remember his real name. <laughs> it can't be his real yeah. name. Um, but, uh, but yeah, f- as we talked about with our Crash minisode, uh, Paul Haggis is not opposed to ham-fisted lines, ham-fisted imagery, uh, the whole deal. But where Paul Haggis as a director steers right into that skid, Clint Eastwood manages to undercut it. And that's the thing. As I think people know, Clint Eastwood has a lot of faith in the script, in any script, and which can sometimes be the downfall of his films. Yeah. Um, But like you said, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't gussy it up. He just, if anything, he strips things down so that there are scenes and there are definitely scenes in million dollar baby that are inherently cheesy and silly, maybe even a little stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, but Clint Eastwood is a director of such stylistic conviction and he doesn't dress it up. He just treats it like everything else that whenever, whenever a hot button issue comes up, whenever a character says something that could be either funny or over the top or ridiculous or, or melodramatic, it's all treated with that same tone. And it's a tone of, well, this is a very important thing to these characters and that's all that matters. And so, um, so yeah, but there is stuff about the script and about the story that is ham-fisted, but it doesn't feel like that. It always feels I'm not sure if I'd say realistic, but it always feels very serious. Um but yeah, so I'm trying to think I haven't seen the movie in a while. I wanted to try and watch it before we talked about it, but I just didn't have the time unfortunately. Um yeah, It's been a long time since I've seen it too. So hopefully we're not Missing anything. You know what? Actually, I, th- I think I rewatched it when I wrote about it. So it hasn't oh, okay. been that long. Yeah, I guess that was a, a, a while back. But, uh, or at but least rewatched so parts yeah. of it. Maybe I watched parts of it. Yeah, and it's just... Uh, so I guess the thing to do now is to break down some of the things uh, about the film that we liked, maybe didn't like, whatever, um, and do it uh, hopefully within the next 15 minutes. So um, the movie won Best Picture, Director, Actress, and Supporting Actor. Actress for Hilary Swank. Supporting actor for Morgan Freeman and the only Oscar he's ever actually won. Hmm. Um, he's been nominated many times, but he only ever won for this. Now, um, Hilary Swank is a great actress. I'm fine with her winning. I think she did great things with this character. Like every every step of the way. Again, this goes to what I was talking about before. She could have played the character as overly naive. And bubbly and and just the picture of innocence mm-hmm. um, and then turns into this other thing. Uh, she doesn't. When the character is energetic, she is believably energetic. And you feel like there's underneath her energy. It's not forced. It's a choice she's making. At, the character is making mm-hmm. as opposed to something that comes about because her life has been so good that she has no other choice. When we see her family, we see that she has come from kind of a bad place and she literally has to make it on her own. But she realizes that if I'm going to do this, I cannot do this with cynicism. I have to do it with optimism. And so you see that everything that the character does is a choice, which I think inherently makes the character seem strong and somebody that I'm rooting for Hmm. throughout. And so 
which is which is incidentally what makes that la- the the sort of the last choice that she makes of the film uh, really powerful because in many ways it seems to go against yeah. who she is, right? Um, which you know makes for a, a very not merely controversial, but it's con- you know it's conflicted. We watch it and we feel conflicted. Um, but yeah, Hilary Swank is is an actress with tremendous strength. Uh, and she's won two Oscars at this point, and I'm sure at some point she'll be uh, nominated and maybe even might win another one. But she won previously for Boys Don't Cry, mm-hmm. which is a very good film that she's wonderful in. Did you ever see it? No, I've never oh, seen boy, it. Oh, boy, it's good stuff. How old was she when she won this second one? Like, that's pretty young to win your second Oscar, isn't it? I would, Yeah, I would say she was in her early 30s, uh, maybe even late 20s. But I know the character herself is in her early 30s. Okay. Um, which for the character doing what she's doing is considered old. Right. Um, but yeah, for Boys Don't Cry, I think she was in her mid 20s, maybe even early 20s. So I'm not I'm not exactly sure. But mm. um, but yeah, she's very she's very young. She hasn't I feel like she hasn't done anything lately. Right. I can't think of anything. All, all that I can think of is like. A few years after Million Dollar Baby, not that long after she did that movie, it was called like The Reckoning or something. It was a, I might be remembering the name wrong, but it was about some uh, some kind of horror thriller type thing where okay. the plagues were being like the ten biblical oh, plagues yes. were being visited okay. upon somebody. And I remember a friend saying that they should take her Oscar away because of that movie. <laughs> Which hey. That, that, that's a little drastic. And also, when it comes right down to it, okay, they take an Oscar away. She still has another one <laughs> that she can lean on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, and then there was a movie that came out that was a little Oscar bait-ish called Amelia, in which she played Amelia Earhart, which oh, I did yeah. not see, but I heard was very bad. I didn't see because it looked so much like Oscar bait. Like, I yeah. saw the trailer, and I thought, if you tried to make a fake trailer and say, this is an example of what people mean when they say Oscar bait, it would yeah. look like that. Like, it had all the... Yeah. <laughs> it had and everything. And it's a shame, because... Um, and, I mean, it got bad reviews all, all down the line, but... Uh, if you were going to make a, a very good movie about Amelia Earhart, I think you still cast Hillary Swank. She's a good, she's, yeah. She's a very good and very dependable uh, yeah. actress. So that's not her fault if the movie's terrible. Which, hey, it may not be. Neither of us have seen yeah, it. Yeah, who's to say? Public uh, public opinion seems to say. Well, these days, public opinion is like, what? There was a movie made about Amelia Earhart? <laughs> who's Amelia Earhart? Well, come on now. It's, you know, people know who that is. They know more that she's... She disappeared, <laughs> and that might be it. Might. Um, She's from North Hollywood, I believe. Is she? There's a, our uh, library is dedicated to her. There's a big oh. statue of her outside. I think she might actually be from there. Well, maybe she just maybe that library is just really in favor of her. <laughs> it could be. She might be from Ohio. <laughs> and these guys are like, you know who I really was inspired by? No, no, not an author. I realize that would make more sense for a library, but... I, you know, books make you fly. They can take you places. You know places. who else flies? <laughs> or at least did for a while. Um, <laughs> maybe she still is. Who's to say? That's part of the mystery. Like books. She's They're up there mystery. flying in heaven. Um, I feel bad. I feel like we're making fun of Amelia Earhart now. But um, so, uh, so yeah, Hillary Swank. That's the thing. Uh, I don't necessarily want to break down every Oscar the, the movie won and say, did it deserve it? Did it not? Um, but the cast is top notch all the way, all the way. Uh, around and mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood plays 
I would venture to say the lead. I mean, Hillary Smike is also the lead, but it's really Clint Eastwood. His character's name is Frankie. It's really Frankie's film. It's told from mostly from his point of view. Um, even though it's narrated by Morgan Freeman, who's definitely a supporting character. It's, I, I like that complexity. I always like when somebody else is narrating who isn't the lead and is just sort of sitting back and observing everything. Um, but Clint Eastwood, I remember he was nominated for Best Actor, and his nomination bumped out Paul Giamatti for Sideways, which I was not happy about because I, like, I thought Paul Giamatti did a better job. But that happened as a result of Hilary Swank, who was kind of the front runner for Best Actress. She would give interviews, and she basically said, I recognize that I'm probably going to be nominated, but the person that everybody should really focus on is Clint Eastwood's a- as an actor. Mm. Um, he'll probably be nominated for director, but they need to look at that performance. And indeed, the performance is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, Clint Eastwood is an actor that I think doesn't get his due a lot. Mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, he's been nominated for a couple Oscars and movies that he's directed, but mm-hmm. uh, he, he does have a very specific direct way of talking that sometimes, I don't know, not unlike a, uh, a Gary Cooper or something like that. It almost... It's so direct, it almost seems like he's not doing anything. Oh, yeah. Um, would you say, does that sound right to you? There's got to be another way to describe his, um, type of, his type of acting. I mean, I, th- I think it's a very... Uh, he plays a lot of the same type of characters as part mm-hmm. of it, and it's, a very, it's very stripped down. I mean, it's kind of like his directing style. Oh, yeah. Like, he directs much, the, much in the way that he acts. It's simple, it's to the point, and... Yeah. It's. I think he'd say he might say something like it's not all gussied up. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like that's how he might describe it. And so, like you say, that when it doesn't have, when either a performance or a directing choice doesn't have frills to it, doesn't have uh, you know something that draws notice to it, it can seem like you're not doing anything. Right, and. And so I think um, – and to my knowledge, I don't think anybody has ever said Clint Eastwood is a bad actor. But he is – he does seem to be a throwback to a different era, which is – I mean he did start acting in a different era. Yeah. Um, and so to see him give this type of performance um, in 2004 and then uh, a few years later he was in a movie called Gran Torino and his performance – he didn't direct – no, he did direct that. What, what am I yeah. talking about? Um, and his performance in that I think is wonderful. Yeah. Um, but I think I think if you take Unforgiven, Million Dollar Baby, and then Gran Torino, you've got a little trifecta of Clint Eastwood, Eastwood as a modern actor, which is trying to show a, a great deal of sensitivity underneath a gruff exterior. And there's a lot of that in Million Dollar Baby. Uh, it's a really great performance. Morgan Freeman, I don't have much to say. He's very good, especially because he's playing a character who who's not remarkably smart and is very um, limited. Maybe he's very, yeah, he's very limited and, and just he's had a rough life on the street. Uh, And when you think of who Morgan Freeman plays these days, Mm -hmm. God, for instance, (laughs) yeah, God, like he, there's a reason that he is the narrator of things. He plays God. He plays, the wise sage. He plays Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. He just, he has this almost a majesty to him, to him as an actor and for, and his ability to basically strip himself of all of that to play the character 
uh, Eddie in Million Dollar Baby is worth noting, and and he he mm. did win an Oscar for that. I'm not sure if I think he deserved it. There were some other good nominations that year, but um, they had a good chemistry too. I like the chemistry oh, yeah. between those two characters. Absolutely, and of course both him and, and Clint Eastwood. I mean, yeah. And he was, I mean, and they were in Unforgiven as well. Yeah. And so they have a, they have a genuine a history. history there. Um, so yeah. So the acting is great. Everyone sort of assumed that it would be, and indeed it was. Um, the sr- script could have been better at times, but uh, the script is pretty pared down as well. What I do want to mention real quick before we, before we uh, move on and start to wrap up is uh, the visual quality of it is really interesting because... With a story like this, again, the words we are using is stripped down, straightforward. You don't expect a lot of style, a lot of visual style from a story like this, but that's what you get. You get a lot of shadow. You get a lot of you know pools of light here and there. It feels very much like an old boxing movie, hmm. like the setup or Requiem for a Requiem for a Heavyweight, I think it's called, um, and uh, and just I don't know, and I, it almost as though this it takes place in kind of sort of a, maybe not a sleazy world but a seedy one yeah certainly and, a dark one yeah and so n- there's not a lot of scenes that take place during the day they could have but Clint East would choose to have them take place at night indoors not a lot of light um the most well-lit scenes are the ones that take place in the boxing ring as <laughs> as seems appropriate yeah um but also, I remember Roger Ebert at the time made mention of a specific scene that takes place uh, in a car where uh, Hillary Swank and Clint Eastwood are just sitting and talking, and you don't always see their face. It's nighttime, of course, and so you just see shadow cast over his craggy face and all that sort of <laughs> thing. Uh, and it is a very—I don't know—it is a, a it is a very visually distinct film, yeah. which you don't <clears throat> wouldn't necessarily expect. Yeah, and uh, it was not nominated for cinematography, and I think because the cinematography is not flashy, mm-hmm. but it's still very memorable. When very I effective. think of Million Dollar Baby, I do think of a very a very limited color palette. I think of shadows. I think yeah. of darkness, and do you I know, think of sadness. Yeah. Do you know what did win that year? I don't. If I had to guess off the top of my head, I'd say The Aviator. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise um, me. But that's uh, that's just a guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so speaking of that sort of thing, uh, the other Best Picture nominees that year were Martin Scorsese's The Aviator, Mark Forrester's Finding Neverland, Taylor Hackford's Ray, and Alexander Payne's Sideways. So of those, okay, and let's, I guess, just of those, and then also just in general, are you okay with Million Dollar Baby being a winner of Best Picture of uh, in the year 2004? And we'll get to some of the other movies that were released. In the year 2004, are you okay with Million Dollar Baby being thought of as the best movie of that year? Uh, among those among those nominees, I am kind of fine with it. Yeah. Um, there's There are a lot of positive things about it, and we've been saying a lot of the positive things. It's not a movie that's stuck with me a whole lot. Yeah. Um. It's not a movie that I've had a lot of desire to go back and see again. It's not one that I think of as like a great film. Right. Um, but n- neither are any of these nominees. Um, the one that me, I, anyway. the one that I like the most of the nominees and the one that I, I would venture to say love is sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, it's, it's interesting as we, as I, whenever we start talking about what deserves to win best picture, invariably, 
we start, or at least I start talking and thinking about, it's like, well, deserve, I mean, what does deserve even really mean? To quote another Clint Eastwood film, deserve's got nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. Is it the type of movie that is a best picture? And Mm -hmm. Sideways is not. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it might be the best of the nominated films. Yeah. And one of the best movies of that year. Yeah. But if that had won best picture, I would have been surprised. I wouldn't have been dismayed at all. But part of me is like, how did they, <laughs> what how, would they have arri- how did they arrive there yeah. with a Clint Eastwood and Martin Scorsese movie next, to, the, next right. to it? Now, when I think of the other movies that did, that came out that year that I do like more and that I do remember or that I own or something like that. Um, none of those are that type of movie either. Like Eternal right. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind came out that year. And that's a film that I'd say I love. And I, I might go so far as to say it's a great movie. Um, but I, it's not a best picture type winner. It's too strange. Right. I think it could, I think an argument could have been made for it to be nominated and maybe even win just Possibly. because though it is fairly small, um, in its scope, in its execution, it's actually quite ambitious. Um, but it it's also, pr- so it's also quirky enough that, I, yeah, I think it's too strange for something like that, especially if you look at, I mean, look at the nominees for that year are so very yeah. straightforward. I mean, you've got two biopics, maybe three kind of, kind of finding three. Neverland. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, like sideways is the indie outlier for that year. Right. And look at that compared to some of the other indie outliers that we've seen in other years that are much more quirky, like a Juno, for instance, or a little miss sunshine or something like that. Sideways is much more, uh, straightforward, much more traditional Hollywood, I think than those other ones are. And yeah. And sideways. And it's still like indie enough that they almost said, okay, we'll nominate you for a bunch of things. Sideways is nominated for a number of awards. Yeah. But in the end, they just say, all right, we've nominated you. You should be happy to be included. Now here's your best origin, your best adapted screenplay bone. <laughs> We're throwing that to you and you should be happy with it. Eternal Sunshine, here's your best original screenplay. Yeah. There. Now be happy that you get to hang out with the cool kids. <laughs> um, it has that quality to it. Um, and that's the thing. I'm a big fan of Finding Neverland, way more than I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I enjoy that film quite a bit. Ray... I don't like. Yeah. It's very conventional. Jamie Foxx won Best Actor. And I understand why he won, except compared to other movies where the actor is playing a real person who has a very distinct way of talking and moving and and that sort of thing. And I feel like you see Jamie Foxx doing a very a spot-on impersonation while never actually embodying the character mm-hmm. compare that he was nominated twice this year uh, that that year um for uh, the other for supporting actor for collateral oh, that's i right, think he's yeah. infinitely better in collateral than he is in ray but yeah. it's a less showy performance right. also he's definitely the lead of collateral come on people yeah but um but that's neither here and so and that's the thing ray is built around his performance. Mm-hmm. So it seems odd to me that it was up for picture, director, all these other things. Yeah. Um, and so I feel well, like that one really did not deserve to be in there. Yeah, and there's an issues thing in that one as well. Like, I feel like any, anytime there's a good movie, not even a great, not a great movie necessarily, but a good movie that that uh, has uh, studio support and deals with racism, I feel like you've got a good shot at it does it deal with a lot of racism in ray i feel like it doesn't a, a little bit like an, enough so that it's uh, 
that I think that's that's the thing that tipped the scales. I think if that if that hadn't been involved at all, then I think it would be a nice biopic that would get him uh, that would get him at least an acting nomination. But I think that because there are some issues behind it, since it deals with like the civil rights movement a little bit, I feel like that's that's what pushes it over the edge. I think it's. I think it's the uh, – although this could be an argument for the the Best Actor Award. Um, I think it's because it's someone we know overcoming adversity. He's blind. Mm-hmm. Let's, it's hard to do. It's hard to be blind. <laughs> I like to think that as they were uh, uh, developing this movie or like right as the announcement of this movie came out, there was somebody else somewhere in Hollywood that was making a Stevie Wonder movie and was like, well, not great. Now what yeah. are we going to do? Put it, just wait for like 10 years, <laughs> years and then we'll be good. Um, so that, and so now we arrive at the aviator. All right. The aviator is pretty great in a lot of ways. Um, I like the structure of it. I do like the visual quality of it. It tells a story that we're not familiar with. Um, and that's, well, sorry. It tells a story that we are kind of familiar with, but it tells us, from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. It's called The Aviator. Now, Howard Hughes was a lot of things. Right. He was he was a filmmaker. He was an obsessive compulsive. He was a recluse. It's not called The Recluse, yeah. nor is it called The Filmmaker, nor is it called any... It's called The Aviator. That's a very specific and, I think, novel way to approach this man, that mm-hmm. underneath all of these things, he was this one thing first and foremost. And I think that's a very... I don't know. I... I, I appreciated that a great deal um they almost always came at this story from an angle um yeah and it's it deals with him having kind of an uncontrollable passion for something yeah um and i think uh for for something kind of abstract Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that i feel like actually i was kind of disappointed with the film because i feel like that was something that Scorsese should be able to speak to better as because of who he is as a person. It did not feel very personal. I'll say yeah. that. Um, like it seems like it should be really personal. Uh, 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 first of all, it's about a filmmaker. Scorsese is interested in film history, but Scorsese is a person that has very singular passions and is very controlling about those things. And those yeah. are a lot of things that are in Howard Hughes. So it it and, seemed funny to me that it doesn't. It I don't know. It doesn't have a life to it that I felt like it should. Well, and it, it it explores this idea of, yes, he is a perfectionist and he has passion. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the other side of that coin? Yeah. He also, he desires control so much that he will wash his hands incessantly. He will yeah. do that. So there's passion and obsession and the idea that these two go hand in hand and that there's a, there's a, a good side and a dark side. I feel like that's something that the film kind of plays with, but never really dives into head first. That's not to put anything on Leonardo DiCaprio, who I think does a really great job. Kate Blanchett won an an Oscar for it for playing uh, Catherine Hepburn and a delightful performance. Um, And it is, it's, there's a lot of glamor to it. Everything is very big, but compared to another well, there are a lot of DiCaprio uh, and Scorsese collaborations compared to Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. which has all the – there's a lot of glamour and glitz to that as well, but there's also just a lot of gross yeah. stuff to it. I'm not saying that they should make Howard Hughes into a uh, Jordan Belford. <laughs> no. um, but then I, I felt like 
Wolf of Wall Street had kind of it, it had that life to it that I felt like was missing from yeah. the Aviator. That's one of the things that I liked about it. It felt like it had something in it that recent Scorsese films haven't had so much. Yeah. So, so yeah, this wasn't that as far as the nominees. This wasn't that great of a year, and so Million Dollar Baby yeah. winning. I'm and looking at the other notable releases, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind is the only one that I think really could stand a chance and could be considered one of the best movies of that year. That's probably my favorite movie from that year. Though I am a huge fan of The Incredibles, and if the Academy was given to nominating animated films, I think The Incredibles would have had a shot. Like it is, It was one of the most visually marvelous films of that year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another interesting film was a uh, documentary called Touching the Void, which is, you want to talk about ambition, that one has it in spades. But then this was also the, the year of the Passion of the Christ, yeah. which had way too much controversy. But yeah. everything about it seemed like it could have been nominated <laughs> if it didn't have all this uh, baggage with it. Um, but yeah, and so uh, so without going through uh, the rest of these, and we do need to wrap up, I will say that uh, in the pantheon of best pictures, Million Dollar Baby is a perfectly fine film. It didn't stick with me tremendously, but where it does, it does a lot, which is in certain performances, in certain scenes, in certain visual choices, and the and the overall tone like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. It doesn't shift dramatically when there's a big uh, twist. Yeah. And so um, so this is an and this is a good example. We've talked about it already, but this is a good example of what you will often find when talking about the best pictures, which is yes, the movie is very good, occasionally great. You can't compare it to other movies in general. You can only compare it to other movies of that year. That is the nature of Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Were there better movies? Sure. Were there a lot? Not really. Yeah. And were there were there a lot that would fit the mold of what a Best Picture movie can be? And right. no is the answer. The answer is no. So, Million Dollar Baby, it, and I'll go to this uh, as I so often do. If If somebody you knew was planning on seeing it, and said, "Hey, I was I was going to watch Million Dollar Baby. Do you think? What do you think? What do you think about that movie?" I think it's one where I'd say it's it's pretty good. You might enjoy it. I would. Yeah. Watch. It's it's not one where I'd say you need to see this. It's right. one where if if the person is a fan of Clint Eastwood, I would say you definitely need to see it. If a person likes uh, sports movies, I might say sure. you'd like to see it. And, and maybe if someone likes kind of character pieces. Oh sure, it might be that sort of thing. But uh, yeah. it. Just in general, given all of the movies to watch, it's all of the movies in the world. Uh, yeah. It's it's lower on the list, I'd say. Yeah, and of the movies of that year, I would say you got to see Sideways, Eternal Sunshine, The Incredibles, and Touching the Void first, hmm. um, and maybe even a handful of others. But anyway, okay. So I think we will we will end with that. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. You know all the basic uh, contact info stuff. So uh, I will just end this. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. We'll get you next time. Bye. 